Thank God. How many brought a Bible today? Cool, cool. If you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry. We've got stuff on the screen. But if you need a Bible, I'd encourage you to go get one and bring it to church next time because uh, you'll get a lot out of it when you can see it in your own Bible. <laughs> the stampede continues. Once you have your Bible, I'd like you to open it to the book of Philippians. My wife and I, I just want to thank you for uh, praying for us and keeping us in your hearts this last week as we were at a national conference in Calgary. It went wonderfully and we were just blessed to be a part of it. And um, I believe not only did we sow something, we received something. I think that's always good. Um, And uh, I believe that we'll be blessed as we uh, just continue to not only get deeper into God ourselves, but also um, connect with each other and connect with the larger body of Christ. It changes things when you realize you're not the only one out there. And uh, I want to encourage you and and just let you know that God is doing great things all over Canada. It's exciting to see it. Um, And I just think that we're we're getting ready for a nationwide um, just breakthrough in every area. And I'm excited about that. So if you got your Bible out, would you turn to, as you've already turned to Philippians, hopefully. And uh, let's... uh, Let's start in verse 12 of chapter 2. <laughs> just, just, just look at every verse 12 you have in the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians 2, verse 12. Thank God. It says, Philippians 2, 12. It says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now what, uh, as we've said so many times before, notice that it doesn't say work for your salvation. It doesn't say work on your salvation. Here's the deal. Salvation is not a work of you. Salvation is a work of God. Right? You're not the Savior. Anybody here the Savior? No. So then you cannot, you cannot be responsible for salvation. That's not you. That's Jesus. He is the Savior. In fact, it's in His name. Yeshua, the Lord saves, Right? So it doesn't, you, you can't make salvation happen. You can't do it on your own. But there's something that's been saved on the inside of you. Sometimes we say the word, I've been saved so much, we forget what it means. I mean, just pretend you've never, pretend this is the first time you're at church. Maybe somebody's here going, don't have to pretend, it's my first time at church. But for everybody else, just think of, I mean, we hear salvation thrown around so much, but just think about what it means. For somebody to save you, that means you're being rescued. It means you're being delivered. It means you're snatched out of something. To be saved is exactly what happened to us. It means that there was something we had to be saved from, isn't it? Doesn't it? Something we had to be saved from. But of course, the scripture says we weren't just saved from something. We were saved into something. He brought us out of darkness. He put us into light. And this is something that every believer's got to know. Every believer's got to get a hold of. Is you weren't just saved out of darkness. You weren't just brought out of darkness. You were brought into light. So you can't just live life saying, I'm going to do everything I can just to avoid darkness. You've got to say, I'm here to be light. Oh, what a sad life. What a sad life to go through life and just say, uh, I hope I don't. I hope I don't mess up too bad. I hope I don't accidentally serve the devil. What a terrible life! You've been saved. You're light now. You're brought into the kingdom. Oh, you're. I mean, it's life is more than just trying not to be in darkness. That's the old way. You're in the light now. You are light. So we weren't just saved from something. We were saved into something. You were brought into a family. You were brought into light. You were brought into a kingdom. And then he says, work that out. Here's the deal. There's three parts to you. And if you went to children's ministry here, growing up, you would have got those drilled into you. There are three parts to you. First and foremost, you are a spirit. The scripture is very clear on this. You're a spirit. That's who you are. That's the real you is is a spiritual person. And so when you die, you don't die. You know what I'm saying? When your body dies, you're still going because you are not the body. The body is the suit you wear to live on the planet. 
Somebody's saying, ooh, that sounds a little weird. Talking like aliens now. Maybe a little. Where you didn't come to the Church of Scientology, don't worry. <laughs> the scripture's clear that everyone at their core is a spirit. You're either spiritually dead or you're spiritually alive, but you are a spirit. You live in this body. And when this body dies, and this body has an expiration date, some live longer than others, but at some point, it goes to the ground and gets turned back into dust from which it came. That's just life. That's the way it's going to happen unless you live to Jesus returns. And if so, praise the Lord. But this body is designed to someday turn back into dust. So it's temporary. So as we learned when we were kids, we said, I'm a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. Well, what is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. That's your soul. And so you're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And so as a spiritual person, as that's who you are, you're a spirit, it was your spirit that got saved. It was your spirit that was raised back to life. It was your spirit that God breathed into. It was your spirit that was rescued. And so it was completely made new. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Well, you know, when you said a prayer, you didn't suddenly, you know, all of a sudden have a mustache that you didn't have before. You didn't, you didn't say my hair used to be, my hair used to be uh, red and now it's, it's dark black. Oh man, I've got muscles now. I like this. Thank God I prayed that prayer. You kept the same body. You didn't pray the prayer and say, boy, all of a sudden I feel like I got an Oxford degree. I, 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 can under, I speak languages I didn't know I spoke. You have the same brain you always had. And for some people that's good and for some people it's not so good. But, but it is the way of it. Now, here's the good news for those of you that are depressed by the brain statement. The good news is that the scripture says that your mind can be renewed by the word of God. It can be washed. It can be renewed. You know, a lot of people don't think that the brain needs to be washed. And in fact, the word brainwash is not a positive word in our culture. But here's the problem. When something's been sitting in sewage for so long, best thing to do is wash it. Right? Nobody's asking you to empty your brain. Nobody's asking you to leave it at the door. I have heard preachers say that. Leave your brain at the door. I'm speaking to your spirit today. Am I supposed to leave my body there too? Am I just supposed to kind of float to the altar? Turns out I need my brain. In fact, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He does not want you to check your brain at the door. He wants you to be a thinking people. He just wants you to think like him. Not think like me. Think like him. So we've been living for so long in a society that's missing something big that you start to think like everybody else. And when you come to know Jesus, you think differently. So back to the children's church, we would always say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. Since it's your spirit that was born again, since it was your spirit that was saved, that's where the salvation lives. That's where the well of life is. Jesus said, and I know we quote this all the time. It'd probably be good if you quote it all the time. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, drink of me. And out of his innermost would flow rivers of living water. That's where the water comes out of. That's where the life comes out of. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the well springs of life. Life is on the inside of you. When you're born again, that's where your life is. That's where your hope is. That's where it all comes from. And that's why the scripture says to guard it. Because that's the source of life. That's where everything good's going to come out of. The renewed spirit. The renewed self that you are now. So when it says work out your salvation. He's talking about the fact that you were saved. Your spirit was saved, it was rescued, it was born again, and now we let that salvation which dwells in us become part of our life on the outside as well. It is true that you could be saved, 
Be born again. Be made new on the inside. And not allow it to the full degree that you should. Not allow it to really affect the outside. But that's no way to live. And that's not how God designed you to live. You work out the salvation. What does that mean? That means it's there. Now live it out. Now let it be part of your life, not just something that you believe. Let it be part of what you do and what you say and how you live. And as we work it out, he says, do it with fear and trembling. You say, that doesn't sound right. How could it be with fear and trembling? Especially in this letter where he says the word rejoice so many times. But fear and trembling doesn't mean you're supposed to go around like a you know, just like a depressed and frightened little, you know, worm wandering through life. Fear and trembling. What he means is, and what this is, is pretty easy to understand. Actually, I shouldn't even have to tell you. But this fear and trembling is not being scared of God, not being terrified. This fear and trembling is a reverence and an awe. Realizing, as it says in Hebrews, what a great salvation we've received. So great a salvation. When you realize the treasure that's hidden in on the inside of us, we work it out with awe and with reverence. One of the coolest things about the presence of God, and I I mean the manifest presence of God, I mean the presence of God you can feel. One of the coolest things about it is you discover something that's very rare on the outside. You discover this feeling of absolute joy and delight And yet, this feeling of reverence and awe at the same time. Like, like I'm so delighted. I I could laugh, and yet, this moment is so weighty. Those two things come together, and, and it's the coolest thing. And this is what he says. Work it out with fear and trembling. There's something in you that's got to realize this is worth taking seriously. This is worth me realizing how big this is. How would you feel if I gave you an envelope today? And inside that envelope was $5 million. And I said, I want you to walk this over across the street to the credit union. I want you to go across with this envelope. If you had that envelope in your hand, it was $5 million cash. Must be a big envelope, right? $5 million cash. You wouldn't just kind of be going, ah, da, da, ah, da, da, you know, just not really paying attention to where the envelope went, just kind of tossing it around and, and saying, I dropped something, probably not important. That's not how you'd be. You walk over to that credit union and I said that $5 million is yours, put it in your account, you'd be happy to be sure. But you'd also have this trembling about you. You'd also have this, this is important. This is a treasure. $5 million is nothing compared to what Jesus has put in on you. Nothing. Not anywhere close to what God's put on the inside of you. $5 million is like a paperclip compared to what he put in you. He says, work it out with fear and trembling. Anytime we see that kind of language, we're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about standing and looking at him. And I think we see that very clearly in Hebrews when he talks about, you know, worshiping him with awe and reverence. And and there's this feeling of knowing that you're living a life before God and open to God. Here's what he says in the next verse. He says, for, in other words, this is the reason that you work it out. This is the reason that you walk it out. It says, for it is God who is at work in you. It's a sad thing when we pick and choose verses and we forget to read what comes behind them and what goes before them. Oh, so many have read the verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and all they hear is the word work, and they say, I've got to figure out how to do this. I've got to make this work. I've got to make this happen. But he didn't even put a period there. That's not even, that's not even the end of the sentence. He didn't even take a breath. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. That's why there's fear and trembling involved, because it's God himself who's at work in you. 
oh, wow, what, is, what does this mean being Christians? And God is working on the inside of you. God's using you. We say that so often. We forget how, how amazing that is. We say, oh, yeah, well, I just want to let God use me. And we kind of talk about it like it's, you know, like kind of a, a vague uh, little note that the usher slipped you that, you know, maybe you could help out someday. And we say, oh, I want to be used by God. Think about what you're saying. God, the most powerful entity, the creator of all things, the miracle worker, the source of life, would like to use you. Would like to show his power through you. I mean, he, he, wants to, he wants to show off in your life. This is what we're talking about. And he says, God is at work in you. Boy, I take great comfort in that, that he is at work. He doesn't just, it doesn't say he, he, he worked in you before. He did a work in you. He's at work in me, which means, hey, there's progress to be done, right? God is at work in you, both. Now, here's, here's, this is important. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. How many here want us to say, I want, I, want to, I want God to be well pleased in me. I want him to be pleased with my life. I want him to be pleased with what I say. I want him to be pleased with what I do. Here's the thing. The only way God could ever be pleased with your life is if he's doing the work in your life. Right? The only way that God can truly be pleased in your life is if he's the one at the wheel. Now, I'm not talking about some, you know, a country song where all of a sudden, you know, things are going bad. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm talking about every day. The source, the author, and the finisher in your life. It's God who's at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you use white out in this verse, it doesn't have near the power that it does any other way. Both to will and to work. And so many believers start out with the will to do what they, they're called to do. They start out with, this will could be translated desire. In fact, at this conference I was just at, uh, one of the messages that one of the speakers preached on was desire. I'm not preaching his message, just so you know. Not that it would be a bad thing, but just so you know that, you know, he didn't just come home from a conference and he's just going to go preach the messages. That's not what I'm doing. But he did preach on desire. And what the funny thing was, was how many pastors and ministers were there that said I lost my desire. I was amazed at, at how common that was. And how sad that is. I think many believers are in that place. That word will could be translated as desire. Both to will. Both to want to do the thing that pleases God. And to actually pull it off. How many of you started out with both of those things? You don't have to raise your hand. I want you to ask yourself this question. How many people here started out with both of those things and now feel like you're just doing the work? So, like I said, no hands raised. But this is a big thing that you've got to ask yourself. Am I just going through motions in life? Am I just doing what is should be done and supposed to be done? And you know what? Duty is not such a bad thing. But it won't get you through it. It won't, it won't endure. It won't last. You've got to have... The will, the desire. You've got a will and to work. Those things have got to flow together. And here's the thing. They both come from God. God is at work. Oh, I want God to shape my desires. I want him to fuel my desires. I want him to be the source of my desire. Not just the object, but the source. He says, God is at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now watch what he says here. Then he says, and don't you dare think that these thoughts are disconnected. He says, God's working in you so that, so that you'll want to do the thing that, he, that pleases him. That you're not just going to have to do it as a little martyr that says, oh, I guess I'm going to have to do it because the Lord tells me to. And, and someday they'll write songs about me and someday there'll be a movie that makes people cry. But for right now, I'm just going to do what pleases God, even though I'd much rather be doing something else. No, God wants there to be a desire in you. He wants you to want it. And he's the one that works in you to do that. How, how did I let him do that? 
How do I let him work that desire in me? Well, certainly, I think we have to understand once again the difference between the spirit and the soul and the body. If the well of life is out of your spirit, if that's where God speaks, if that's where God works, then as long as we're living out of that place, there's life. There's water, there's sunlight, there's life. But you have a brain that is very, very intricately designed by a masterful creator. And if you'll notice, sometimes I watch our son, and you know, he's, when he walks around, it's like every step is a discovery. You know, like, can you believe I'm pulling this off? And, you know, it's just every step. Whoa, whoa, you know. And he's thinking about every step. You know how much thought I put into my steps today? Very little. Now, that's why that rug looks like that, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> But my steps have been relegated to a different part of my brain. Your brain has been designed by God to take repetitive tasks and move them to a different place in the brain. That's why experts, as a lot of people, a lot of uh, scholars will say this, that an expert in any area becomes an expert after about approximately 10,000 hours of doing something. You do it really well. Go figure, right? And so your brain takes what you've been doing over and over again and it moves it to a different part of the brain and it becomes muscle memory. It becomes habit. You don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about walking. I really don't. I, I, I mean, there's, there's a different way to play the guitar now. Whereas before, when I first started playing uh, the guitar, the piano, the trumpet, there were things that took all my focus and all my concentration. And that's why maybe you've noticed when we put somebody new on the stage, they have their laser eyes focused on that, on that iPad or that sheet of paper. And you might say, you need to get into it more. You need to smile. And they would if they could only if they had enough RAM in their brain to put some memory towards smiling, they would do it. But right now, it's just hang on for dear life, and they're going to the next chord. How do you play that chord? How do you play that? Oh, my goodness. A G, oh, G dominant seven? How do you play that? I'm going to fake it. Just play a G. No one will ever know. But now, you've been playing it for long enough. You don't even have to look at the music. You don't have to look at your fingers. You just play. If you look, it's not that you're not thinking about it, but now you come to a place where you're not having to concentrate so much on what chord do I play. You're concentrating on things like, God, how do I play this in a way that will glorify you? How do I play this in a way that will be different than just ordinary? Now, I say all that to say this. That can be your friend. That thing that God designed is your friend because, yeah, like I said, you don't have to think when I'm taking steps. You just naturally do it. Your feet know what to do. Your hands know what to do when you're grabbing for something. You're not having to concentrate and go, okay, okay, pinky, okay, ring finger, okay, middle finger, okay, pointer, okay, thumb, close on the doorknob. Now twist it. You're going to twist it in a clockwise motion. You don't have to think like that anymore. It's all gone to habit and muscle memory. You know how to do it automatically. If we're not careful, the things that we started out doing because it was a passion in our soul to do it, there was something burning in us to do it. We relied on God to do it. We said, God, if I don't have you, I can't do this. We do it long enough, we learn how to do it, and our soul takes over. And you just go through the muscle memory of the thing. Preachers can do this. You preach enough messages. I remember, I remember not having anything to preach on a Saturday night. Face on the carpet laid out before God saying, why are you doing this to me? I need a word from you now. <laughs> you know what the alternative was if God didn't give me something to say? A video clip or something. I had no backup plan. Whereas now... I will tell you the truth. I still get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do I say today? But if I didn't do that, I could get up and we could riff for a while. And you'd never, you, well, those of you that were spiritual would probably know the difference. 
But really, you could just kind of go on the stuff you've done before because you've done it enough. You can talk. You know the word. That's not the way God designed us to minister. You work children's church enough? I used to work children's ministry. I don't know if it's the same now. Probably not. No, I know it's not. I know it's a whole different curriculum. We had to do everything from puppets to flannel graph to, you know, Jared probably remembers my illustrations on the whiteboard. I mean, they were... Uh, rivaling Da Vinci. If Da Vinci drew stick figures, then rivaling Da Vinci. Um, I remember the first couple times you did it. And you just go, God, help me. Have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy, but you've made me worthy. I need your help. I need your help. Show up in a big way. And then you walk in and you see a couple of kids sit down and you go, Lord, please, God, I need you now because those kids showed up, please. <laughs> you do it long enough and you can, I remember, I remember, and I'd see this and not naming names. I don't even think these, you know, we could talk about people that aren't even in the church anymore. But, you know, it, you, here's what you could be tempted to do. I'll talk about myself. You get that curriculum a week, two weeks before. And you kind of put it aside. I played on the praise and worship team. So a lot of times the curriculum ended up somewhere around here in the back. You show up on Sunday. Somebody opens a bulletin. You're on children's ministry. Uh-oh. <laughs> so let's figure out what we're going to do real quick. I'm going to make a confession to you and I hope you won't stone me. <laughs> well, there was at least one time that Dave Freeman and I we're on children's ministry. We realized like five minutes before the service. We grab our curriculum and go, okay, you do that, you do that, you do that, you do that. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> Dave and I were adept enough and maybe goofy enough that we could make the kids believe they know the stuff. Because we put that thing down and we go, I, there's no way I can memorize that. But I got the basic idea. Let me riff on that theme. And we talk, and we, you know, and the kids would go, oh, this is great. But in reality, we were not prepared. Here's what I'm getting at. Everything you're doing for the Lord starts out with this complete reliance on Him. You say, how can I do it any other way? As you go, you've got to retain the reliance on Him. You've got to increase the reliance on Him. It doesn't matter how good you've got at it. Doesn't matter how much you've learned. Doesn't matter how well you can pull it off. You cannot step out of the spirit and into the flesh. Though your brain says, I got this. You tell your brain, no, you don't. I'm relying on the spirit. I will use you, brain. Brain, you'll be needed. But I'm living out of the spirit. Because here's what happens when we begin to go through duty and go through the motions and the habits, all of a sudden you find out you are doing the work that you used to do, but it's no longer bringing pleasure to anybody, and it's really not bringing any pleasure to you. You're still doing the work, and you want to please God, but there's no will. There's not passion for it. There's no desire for it because you're just going through the natural motions of it. You know how to do it, but there's not that that desire, there's no will to do it. And the will doesn't come from you. The will comes from God. We've talked about it. But you know that doing this and just saying I'm doing it because it needs to be done. Boy, there's probably a reward for that. But let's get past that and say I'm not doing it just because I have to. I'm doing it. Because there is something inside of me that says, I don't just have to, I want to. And if that's not there, here's what you got to do. You got to go to God and say, I want that want back. I want the will back. Because he says, it's God that's working. It's God that's working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And let me just tell you, the will pleases him and the work pleases him when they're together it's pleasing to God he's looking for a heart remember when he said to give in 2nd Corinthians 9 he says don't give because you were forced to give 
For God loves a cheerful giver. Don't minister because you were forced to minister. For God loves a cheerful minister. Don't intercede for somebody and get on your knees because you feel it's your duty. And all the time you're tortured. You don't want to do it because you want to do it. Now you got two options. If you don't want to do it, here's your two options. You stop doing it or you say, God, give me the will to do it. Stopping it is not the right answer. Now maybe you need to take a break. Maybe you need to take a little break. Get your head in the right space. Get your heart in the right place. But stopping altogether is not the will of God. He says, I want to I wanna want this again. I want to want. I want to, I want my, I want to want to witness to people. I, I want to desire to share the love of Jesus. I want to desire whatever I'm doing for, for God. I want it to be through him, not just for him, but through him. It's God that's at work in you. It's God working in you, man. Here's a way to kill that. Here's a way to stop it. If you want to just stop the desire in your life, or if you're not noticing the desires there, if you're not noticing the will to do it's there, here's a way to just really quench the fire in your life. The next verse says it very clearly. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling will kill any last ember of desire and passion you had. Maybe you're grumbling because the passion feels like it's gone. You want to really make it gone? Start grumbling. Start complaining. Because what you're doing when you're complaining is you took your eyes off Jesus. and You put your eyes on the problems. You put your eyes on yourself. The more we complain to each other and dispute and grumble, I mean, your heart's not there. Your heart's getting further and further from the Lord. So what we do... What's the opposite of grumbling? Can somebody just tell me, what do you think the opposite of grumbling would be? Rejoicing, praise, thankfulness. Right? Grumbling is like the opposite of being thankful. If we're thankful, what in the world do I have to be thankful for? You've got lots. And we're thankful, stuff just starts to feel like this is right again. You thank God. Can, you, can I give you a secret, a hint, a tip, a clue? Start thanking God for people that bug you. Thank God for them. Don't do it sarcastically. Thank you for this person. Thanks for Sister Kim. Kim doesn't bug me. In fact, I use her name. I use her name because she's the furthest thing from it, so you'd never suspect. Kim is awesome. But if you don't say, well, thanks for Kim. Thank you for putting a thorn in my side, Lord. I suppose I'm, I suppose I'm being more Christ-like or something. Thank you. But when you genuinely find something to be thankful about, I really, I mean, if, you, if it takes you a little extra time, take the time. Why am I thankful for this person? Why am I thankful for this? Why am I thankful for, for Lloyd Minster? Think about our city. It's a beautiful city when you think about the people. This city is kind of an odd city. It's kind of sprung up out of the middle of nothing. It's not near a river. It's not near a lake. Not near a mountain. It's just kind of there. In the middle of the prairies, something sprung up. Our great monuments. (laughs) Our giant orange pylons. And yet, you know, T and I, we, we like cities. We like, we like all sorts of cities. We like the country as well. We like outdoors. You know, when we, we get into certain cities, we go, oh, this is a really cool city. Without fail, when we start to come home, our hearts are drawn to this place. Why? Why? Is it we miss the Russ Robertson? What are you missing? The great shopping? God put us here. And the people in here. In this city. 
are the people that God linked us with. And so there's not another city on the planet I want to be, except for Loon Lake, because God also linked me with him. There's not another place I want to be. I could go into New York City and go, this is a cool city. But if God didn't put me there, I don't want to stay there. I'll visit, I'll come home. And that only happens when God does it in your heart. But if you start complaining about Lloyd and all the things you hate about and how dirty it is and all these things, you know what? It's harder for you to minister to the people in Lloyd. It's hard of you for, to influence what's going on in Lloyd. It's hard for you to pray and have an effect in your prayer because you're complaining and you're killing your faith. Instead, would you step out and say, thank God for this city. It's going to be a city on a hill. It's maybe on the flattest of the flat, but in the spirit, it's a city on a hill. And this is a place where revival is going to spring out through Alberta and Saskatchewan. This is a place that Canada is going to look to. Oh, we know this. And God put us here. Thank you, Jesus, for putting me in Lloydminster. Thank you, Jesus, for putting me in this church. Thank you, Jesus, for the people around me. Thank you for the congregation. Thank you for the new people that come in. Thank you, Lord, for our politicians. Thank you for the election that's coming up. Thank you for the people that are running. If we can just begin to thank God, God has room to work. It's God who's at work. It's God who's at work in us. God's working in you. The only one that can stop God. The devil can't stop God. Do you think the devil can stop God? Do you think that there's anybody here that doesn't like you that can stop God working in your life? What if, what if somebody just totally hated you and they made it their mission in life to stop God's work in your life? Could they pull it off? No. They can't. Who's the only one that could put a stop to what God's doing in your life? You're the only one. And it's not because God's not powerful enough. It's because he chose, because he loves us, he gave you a free will. That's how he were created. So without that, without that free will, you're a robot. He didn't create a robot. He created a person. Right? So you're the only one that can stand in the way of what God's doing in your life. We better not do that. Let him work. And can I say this? Don't just let him work to do the work. Let him work to do the will. Some of you, some of you are such good people. And you've been raised to believe that you're not just here for you, you're here for other people. Some of you are so caring and kind-hearted that you'll take on the weight of the world on your shoulders because you don't want it to be on someone else. Some of you will keep doing that even when there's no will left, there's no desire, there's no passion left. You're just doing it because it needs to be done. Because you say to yourself, well, who's going to do it if I don't? While that's admirable, it's long-term, not going to work. In fact, when you're doing something out of obligation, the best you will do is maintain it. The best you will do is keep it from drowning. But when you're doing something because God told you to do it and you're excited to do it, it'll grow. Right? Happens in churches. Happens in every ministry in the church. Here's my prayer that I've prayed over this church. Because we've had faithful people that have done things that they didn't feel they were called to do. Well, it needed to be done. And thank God there is a great reward. Somebody didn't, you know, I mean, who feels called to shovel the sidewalk? I mean, come on. Turns out there are some people. I started to pray that God would put desire into people to do the things that, that they could do. That, that we'd have people fill these gaps that, that you'd never imagine somebody would say, I feel called to this. And I had people say to me, I want to do this. I, I, I feel like it's on my heart to do this thing. And I'd be like, praise God, they're excited. And that this was a thing that somebody was doing because it had to be done. And all of a sudden, God brought somebody in that's doing it and wants to do it. Wow. You know, we had those people at the beginning of the service and we're praying you know, uh, I mean, just in every area, there'd be things that people would do because they had to be done. And all of a sudden, what we're starting to see are people saying, I have a passion for this. I want to do it. And here's what I've noticed. Whatever they've done, 
it's gotten bigger. It's grown. It's gotten more alive. Just thinking about like testimonies, you know. God put it on somebody's heart to, to take over that part. I mean, it started to grow. When, when God put it on somebody's heart to start prepare communion before the service, I mean, then there was something in it. God's doing this in us. Let him work in us. Keep the grumbling and the complaining out. Let him work. Here's what the psalmist David says. And we're going to close with this thought. I don't want to be like the Ephesian church that's doing all the right things. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes to them and says, you're doing the right things, but you've lost your first love. I don't want that. I don't want that to be my story. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 7. Psalmist David says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. There's a lot of times there's joy and gladness around us, and we just don't hear it. When you're in a place of depression, when you're in a place of just slugging through, you no longer hear the joy and the gladness. It's not that it's not there. You just can't hear it anymore. That's a sad place to be in. The Apostle Paul, before we read further, the Apostle Paul said, he said, I must preach the gospel. He says, but if I, if I do it willingly, I get a reward. He said, if I do it because I have to do it, there's a stewardship entrusted to me. It's just my job. But if I do it out of free will, if I do it because I want to do it, there's a reward for me. He says here, make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which have been broken, which you've re broken, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Now remember, this is the old covenant, right? There's some things in this prayer that are distinctly old covenant. But even David in the old covenant had a revelation of what God could do. And in the new covenant here, we have been washed whiter than snow, right? We've been made clean. He says this, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, renew a steadfast spirit within me. I want you to focus on that word renew. Renew. What does that mean? Make it new again. Refresh it. Renew it. It means it might have been there, but it's not there anymore. What would be a steadfast spirit? It's faithful. It's solid. It's not shaky. It's right before God. Steadfast spirit's not moving all over the place. The steadfast spirit says, I'm here. This is where God put me and this is what I'm doing. Renew the steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Once again, we're in the new covenant. And he says, he'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, take not your spirit from me. He said, I've given you my spirit as a pledge. So thank God we're in the new covenant. But we understand the heart here. Then he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This may be a prayer that you have to pray. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. Keep me with a willing spirit. A willing spirit. A spirit that wants to do it. A spirit that desires it. Keep me with a willing spirit. Thank God. Let's stop there. I just want us to, to consider the fact that God has no desire for you to go through your life doing things that you have no desire to do, that you have no passion for, that there's no heart to do it. God has not made you for that. Jesus... The scripture says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness. He was anointed with the oil of gladness. It says above all his brethren. Which means for all the things that Jesus did. Did Jesus live for himself? What, did he not spend his life caring for other people? 
And yet he had more gladness than anyone else. Here's a revelation for you. As many pictures have you seen of Jesus crying and weeping, and there were times he cried and wept. The scripture says he was happier than everybody else. And here's a revelation. He liked what he did. He liked it. He liked his job. Here's a guy who lived for other people and lived, well, really lived for the Father, but served other people. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He laid his life down. When he wanted to go take a rest, people followed him and bugged him. And he liked it. He enjoyed it because he was doing the Father's will. And he says to that, to me, doing the Father's will is my food. It's what sustains me. It's what makes me happy. It's what gives me life. And I realize we think we're being good Christians. Slugging away at something we no longer have passion for. We think we're doing God a favor. Just keep at it. Just don't give up. There'll be a thank you for me in heaven. You know what? There's a time to do that. There's a time when you don't feel like it. Just keep doing it. There's also a time to stop and say, hey, this isn't right. Where'd that passion go? Where'd the will to do it go? Where'd the desire to do it go? Where'd the love for it go? The answer is not to just stop it. The answer is to say, God, give it back. (laughs) You didn't take it. God didn't take it from you. But God, put it back in me, that joy. Put back in me that, that will to do. It is God who's at work in you both. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To do what pleases him, but to want to do it. To desire to do it. If you don't desire to do it, it's not going to work very well. But when the desire's there and the passion's there, it gets done. It grows. It has life. It breathes. It reproduces. Thank God. Don't suffer. Don't just go through life. Let God fill you again. Let him refresh you again. Let him renew it in you. Let him restore it in you. Trust that God can do it. It says God's at work. God's at work in you. God can do this. God can work in you. What power lies in the hand of God? What life is in the breath of God? What strength is in his comfort? What strength is in his arm? And if God's at work in you, there's a supernatural work happening on the inside that can change everything. You feel like you've been banging your head against the wall. Today is a day where you wake up, you look up, and you say, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to stop doing things for you, but I'm tired of just doing them because I feel like I have to. I want the desire to be there. Sometimes we feel like we're, sometimes we feel like, I mean, this is the, this is what religion has taught us. This is what we got to get out of our brain. Sometimes we feel like we must not be serving God because we like it too much. I'm just enjoying this too much. I must be missing God. That is an old religious way of thinking that didn't come from the Bible. There's times where you got to lay your life down. There's times where it doesn't feel good. There's a joy there. There's a life there. Thank God. Would you stand up? Thank God for the joy of the Lord. Thank God for the life. Thank God for the newness of life that dwells on the inside of us when we just believe and we just say, I want it. I want more of you and I want to want you. Not know. It's not a long shot to believe that there's somebody here that needs to be refreshed. That's been doing the things and doing the things. You're working for his pleasure, but you you find it's not pleasing anybody because you're just doing the work. But if you'll have the will with the work. My grandma used to always say this. She was born in a very poor Oklahoma family. She used to always say, And my mom repeated it. We went to our work with laughter and song. 
we said to ourselves, that didn't take long. You know what? That's the way it worked. You go to what God, you, you go to what you're supposed to do, and this is just in the natural. You go do yard work with laughter and song. You enjoy it. How about instead of faking that, you get the real thing? Praise God. There's anybody here that says, I need that. I need it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of just going through motions. I'm tired of just trying to do the right thing out of, the, out of my, feeling out it's out of my flesh. I want to do what God's called me to do, but I don't feel like there's the life there. There's not, there's not the joy, the desire, the passion to do it anymore. But I want the passion to do it. I want that back. Then why don't we just pray together? Why don't we just let God do what uh, God can do? Amen? Would you just come forward right now if that's you? Thank God. Thank God. Let's believe. Let's believe. Let's trust God. Let's trust God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we need you. Oh, how we need you. Oh, how we need you. How we desire you. Lord, for those that say, I I used to be so passionate about this. I used to be so, so excited about my, my, what I was doing for the Lord and what I was doing in life. I, I used to be so excited. And I want to be that way again. I want to be that way again. Would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? Would you restore to us the joy and the passion for your name. Thank God. Restore it to us. Lord we look to you. We hold out our hands. And let's just stretch out our hands guys. Let's stretch out our hands. And let God touch us. Let God refresh us. Let God renew us. Thank God. For the well of life. Thank God for the refreshing of the spirit. Thank God for the joy of the Lord. Thank God. That he said those who are weary. Those who are heavy burdened. Laden down. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Now here's what the Lord told me to do. I I went and got this oil here. And he told me to put that down. He told me to pick up this glass of water, and I'm going to do that. I didn't drink from this glass of water. But just as this water is refreshing, just as it's life-giving, just as it brings life to a parched place, I want it to symbolize in your life the life that comes from the Spirit. The refreshing that comes from the Spirit. Be refreshed. Be renewed. Be living. Wake up to righteousness. Oh, strengthen my sister. Strengthen her. In Jesus' name. New life. New life and a passion. That not only carries him, but carries others in Jesus' name. That not only carries him, but carries others. A contagious passion. An infectious passion. That you would bear him up. He would walk and not grow weary. He'd run and not grow faint. Jesus. 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 Life and refreshing. Life and refreshing. Life and refreshing to Audrey right now. Life and refreshing to you, Audrey. Oh, that those things on your shoulders would no longer be on your shoulders. Audrey, I see you coming alongside Jesus and he's 
hunched over like this, not because he's, uh, he's hunched over because he can't stand up straight, but like he's bending down and you're taking a backpack off and you're putting it onto him. And he's more than able to support the weight. But Audrey says, take it off. Take the backpack off. Take the weights off. And it says, cast your cares on him, the scripture says, for he cares for you. And here's the thing, he cares. And everything you cast on him, he's going to guard it better than you could. He's going to handle it better than you could. (laughs) He can handle it better than I can. Better than you could. Cast it on the Lord. And laughter and joy return to your house. Laughter and joy return to your house. You will call your gates praise. The house will be filled with joy. The house will be filled with gladness again. In Jesus' name. Refreshing. Refreshing to Jared in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. Lord, I just call out the gift inside of him. But that it would not come out of a place of obligation, but it would come out of a place of joy. And that the words that come out of his mouth would come out with laughter and with shouting. Would bring that same spirit to others in Jesus' name. Thank you for my sister. Oh, the water of the word, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Be refreshed, be renewed, and would life come back? Bring back to life the things that have fallen asleep. Lord, even the things that, are, that have been dormant for a while. Wake them up. Wake them up. Wake it up again in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Wake it up again. Wake it up and be renewed and be refreshed in the presence of God. Be refreshed in the presence of God. Be refreshed in the presence of God. And would life fill you, Denny? Would life fill you? Be refreshed and be renewed. For he is well pleased. He's well pleased with you, Denny. He's well pleased. That's not a hill you have to climb. He is well pleased. Feel the pleasure of God. I just ask for delight to return. Delight to return. And complete wholeness and healing. In every area. That the joy of the Lord. The Bible says that the joy and the laughter. And the joy of the Lord is like medicine to your soul. But a broken spirit dries the bones. So I pray that those bones will never be dry again. But life would come into them. And a spirit of laughter would be on you. A spirit of joy would be on you. That renews your bones and renews your life. And you feel it from the very depths of you into the very marrow. You feel the life of God. And you share the life of God. And that house again will be a place. A garden where people will come to grow. And be filled with the spirit chance. Be filled and renewed. Not one thing, not one thing that you have to do will you ever or should you ever have to do because you just feel like, well, it's got to be done. But I pray that the unction of the Spirit would be in you, that as you play, you prophesy. Even in the wintertime, as you plow that snow That the grace of God is on you and God speaks to you. And I pray that out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. And that the spirit would come bubbling out of you in every area. That you won't be able to contain it. He'll intercede for others with groanings too deep for words. And your mouth would open to the word of God. And you'd speak it and you wouldn't have to doubt it. But you'd know it was God in Jesus name. Be refreshed Selena. Be refreshed. Be refreshed and renewed. And let God clear away before you. Let God clear away. Like, like driving behind a snowplow. Let God clear the way in front of you. For whatever seems big to you seems small to him. But never too small for him to take care of. Be refreshed and be renewed. Be refreshed and be renewed. Breathe life into Anita. Faithful servant of God. Faithful daughter, but first and foremost, before you anything else, you are a daughter. Pull up to the table. 
Sometimes you just need to step away from the stove and pull up to the table. The seat's for you. There's been a seat and a plate prepared for you already. They say, if I don't do this, who will? But Jesus says, first, I want to eat with you. I want to dine with you. Before you're anything else, you're his daughter. I'll renew that in her, Jesus. Renew that in her. Let's just take a moment. Just, just, if you're here, you're here. Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it in you. Be renewed and be refreshed in the name of Jesus. Life, fill this spirit. Fill it and wake him up. Oh, I know he's awake. But I believe there's a waking that you've not experienced yet. You're awake. You're alive. But there's a wakefulness and there's a life that's coming. Oh man, we need you. We need you. We need you and your wife. The kingdom needs you. And I'm just thankful for you. Be who you are. Stand in that life. And Lord, we pray that the joy comes with it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's just, let's just worship God. Let's worship Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We adore you. Jesus. Here's what the Lord said through Peter. He said, times of refreshing would come in the presence of God. There was a youth minister that came to our church many years ago, and he said this. He said, many... Teenagers don't understand, and he said teenagers because he was a youth minister, but I believe this could apply to many. He said, many people don't understand the verse that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, because they haven't had one day in his courts. Once you taste and see that the Lord is good, come back, spend your time in the presence of God, and be refreshed, and be restored, and life will come back. Life will come back to you. Dead things will rise again. Sleeping things will wake up. Life will come back to you. Life will come back. We speak life to you. We prophesy to the dead bones and say live. Live. Live in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. At times like this, we decide what church, what kind of church we want to be. Do we want to be a church that embraces the life-giving power and presence of God? That's what I want to be. Life is coming again to you. Life, life, life. We give you honor and praise, Lord. For you've done all things well. In you, there's nothing missing or lacking. In you, we are complete. In you, our joy is full. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your life, for your love, for your greatness. We pray that refreshing would come. And for those that aren't here, that refreshing would come. And they'd be drawn to the place where your presence is. That even this afternoon that we'd go home and seek you. That we'd go home and find you. In Jesus' name. Mm. I'm going to not make this a habit and I'm not going to beat up on the men, but... This morning when I went to the altar, the word refreshing came to me. Nothing else, just refreshing. And men, I've, I've encouraged you to come to the front, but that's where we find out our call.
That's, I know my purpose in Christ because I came to the altar. God will answer you, but you have to. You have to let him talk to you. Thank God. Thank God. Refreshing is found in worship, isn't it? We all express that worship differently, but there is an expression of worship. There is a, a longing to go deeper. And I believe that, just as Tim said, that's where refreshing is found, in the presence of God. And God is everywhere. But there is a place where we're open to Him. It's not a place physically, but it's a place in the Spirit where you're open. Sometimes, like Tim said, sometimes, that, sometimes it really does help to come down to the altar. Sometimes it's right where you are. But you know the difference between just singing a song and letting your heart and your spirit minister to God and letting God minister to you. Thank God. He's good, isn't he? We're going to pray over the food. And the food's going to be good. I'm really excited. I don't want anybody watching what I put on my plate because it's saying, oh, he didn't pick mine because I don't know what's yours and I'd rather not know what's yours because I don't want the pressure. But I am so excited about everything that's going down there and I know it's not all going to fit on my plate. So if you don't see your food on, on our plates, it's not my fault. I'm just going to try to stuff as much as I can on there. Let's pray over it. Let's thank God for it. God, we thank you. Thank you for the people that you called here. Thank you for the presence of God. Thank you for the love of God. We thank you for the food that you provided. We believe it's of you. We call it blessed in Jesus' name. Would you bless our fellowship as well? That you'd be with us as we talk, as we laugh, as we share. That God, there would be a sense of your spirit there. That we would um, get to know each other better than we've known before. That you would, your love would, would make new connections and strengthen the old ones. In Jesus' name. Amen.